so I had two weeks where I could kind of pick anything that I wanted to talk about at all. Um, and so tonight, I'm going to talk about the importance of controlling your cell phone. No, I'm kidding. Um, ha, 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 right? Preacher got jokes. Um, no, I'm actually talking about uh, the right to life, which for, for us would be the subject of abortion. Um, and I realize that some of you guys are in here are quite young. And let me just go ahead and share the reasoning behind that is, I think by the time you get, and, and some, of like, some of the juniors in here especially can testify, but like by the time you get to upper high school, you've kind of made your decision on some things. Like you are where you are in terms of certain political issues and spiritual issues. And so, and not that you can't change, but it gets harder and harder to move that pendulum a different way the older you get. So I want to talk to you about this at a relatively early age. We're not gonna, there's not going to be any kind of shock factor. I'm not going to do anything kind of like intense or anything like that. But I do just kind of want to share this with you because... Um, Abortion is everywhere right now. You guys are seeing it everywhere and talk about it everywhere on, on BuzzFeed and Snapchat and Instagram and the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN. And of course it's on Twitter because that's what Twitter is now. It's just people talking about politics. I think that will end up being the undoing of Twitter, unfortunately and fortunately. Um, but it's everywhere, right? It really is. This debate, this discussion is everywhere. And there are a lot of very nice church-going folk who don't know where they stand on this issue. And so I want to share this with you, okay? I want to remind you guys what the Bible says, what truth there is to know about the subject of abortion. And the thing that scares me the most is not just how many people are starting to believe that abortion is, is more and more and more okay, but how easily they slip into believing that, how easy it is to just accept that, well, this person's nice, and this person sides with it, so it must be okay. And I want to I do the best I can just to kind of share with you um, some facts and things about abortion that maybe you didn't know, uh, and then, of course, share with you what the Bible says. Because as we talked about last week, right, with baptism, is we want to be a youth group that the first thing we ask ourselves when it comes to a, a topic is, okay, what does the Bible say about this? Does the Bible address this, right? That should be the first thing. That's our kickback. That's our reaction, okay? The first thing we need to know is, what does the Bible say about this topic? And that could be anything in your life, right? What does the Bible say about this? That's what I want us to be as a youth group, okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of lay out for you legally, um, scientifically, and biblically some stuff about abortion, all right? Legally, scientifically, and biblically. And if you have any questions or comments or anything like that, don't raise your hand during the sermon. Just a, a quick thing. I hate that, okay? Just a quick little, ugh, okay? So wait till the end, and let's talk after. Did you really? Are you kidding? Um, what if I just lightning just, um, but anyway. So, but just afterwards, after we're done, come up and let's talk, okay? All right, does that make sense? If you have a question, which I don't know that any of you would, but if you do, let's come up and talk after, okay? So let's walk through some stuff with abortion. And I think we should talk about it a lot because, all right, Church Kid 101, the big thing that the preacher talks from, what is that thing called? It's called the what? The pulpit, all right? And it's, that's not just a church word. Some of you meant, well done, deacon's daughter, well done. So, so a lot of people know that, but this is where that word comes from. The pulpit is not just a churchy word. Some of you may know this. It is the front part of the ship. The pulpit is the part of the ship that hits the waves first in a storm, which is very fitting for it should be the place where the pastor speaks from because that's part of my job is to 
be the first one to jump into these issues, right? We shouldn't shy away from issues as a church. We should talk about them, okay, in an in a, in a orderly, respectful way. And abortion is one of these that it's everywhere. And so I want us, like anxiety is everywhere, so I want us to talk through this issue. So the first thing that you've got to know about abortion in America is this thing called Roe v. Well done, my, my AP students. Roe v. Wade, right? Now, fun fact, there is a court case far after Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was 72. There's a court case called Planned Parenthood v. Casey in 92. Roe v. Wade was 73, sorry. 92. That's where we get most of our cues for abortion from legally today, all right? If Roe v. Wade was overturned tomorrow, abortion would still be legal in most states because they pull from Planned Parenthood versus Casey. But Roe v. Wade was the first one to kind of open the floodgates, so this is the one I want to talk about tonight. Do yourself a favor. Summer is here. If you're bored or if you need something that you want to check out and this topic is of interest to you, Look up online, be careful where you go, but look up online or find a book that goes, that takes you through Roe v. Wade. Because it is, it is one of the most fascinating, unbelievable stories of how this thing became legal. Um, it's a crazy story, and I'm just going to kind of spark note it for you just a little bit. So let's walk through this now, and here's the legal side. So legal, scientific, biblical. Here's the legal side of what happens and how abortion became legal in our country. In not, and there's not going to be a quiz, so just kind of hang out. And we have a podcast, remember, PVN students, so you can listen in. All right. In 1969, a woman named Norma McCorvey was 22 years old, divorced, homeless, and pregnant for the third time. She sought to have an abortion in Texas. Remember, abortion's not legal yet. But this was illegal at the time because Texas ruled that abortions were illegal unless the mother's health was in danger. That's, that's pretty much the sweeping context of the country at that time. It's always been um, permissible to, have, to take surgical action if the mother's life has been in jeopardy. And that was the law. An adoption agency, so remember, she's looking for a place to abort. She can't do it in Texas. An adoption agency connects her to two lawyers fresh out of school who were eager to challenge the Texas statute on abortion, Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington. Weddington, who had traveled to Mexico a couple of years earlier to have an abortion, was seeking a class action lawsuit against the state of Texas in order to legalize abortion. So that's what they're looking for, right? And then they get connected to Norma McCorvey. The lawyers needed a representative for all women seeking abortions who was young, poor, and white. Poor for sympathy, white due to race relations. This is the late 60s after all. The whole thing is being doctored from the start. Right? The whole thing is to elicit an emotional reaction. After meeting with, so that these two lawyers, right, they meet with McCorry at, kid you not, Columbo's Pizza in Dallas. They agree to use a pseudonym for her or a fake name called Jane Rowe. Roe versus Wade. This is Miss Rowe. McCorvey, Jane Rowe, now the face of this movement only met with her lawyers twice. Once for pizza, the second time to sign an affidavit, which just means that they can use her testimony in court. She never appeared in court. Roe v. Wade. Roe never appears in court. And she found out about the ruling months later in the newspaper. So she never even went to court. She never found out about the ruling except for in the newspaper months later. 
And here's what you need to understand about Roe v. Wade. So Roe v. Wade is not this document of paper that says abortion is now legal. It's not what it is. And it wasn't a slam dunk either. Roe v. Wade is one of the most highly criticized Supreme Court rulings in history. And not just because it endorses abortion. Okay? In the ruling, all right, so here's the ruling. Here's what they say. Roe v. Wade happens. Here's what the Supreme Court decides. And I'm going to try to explain this as best I can, all right? So don't start drooling or like mashed potato brain. Just like hang in with me for a minute, okay? Here's what they ruled. The Supreme Court states basically three things. One, under the 14th Amendment, I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Under the 14th Amendment, no state can make or enforce any law which hurts the privileges of citizens in the United States. They can't make a law that hurts a privilege that you have. What privilege do they put in the 14th Amendment? The right to privacy. They can't make a law that hurts someone's private right to have an abortion. We'll come back to that. Number two, they also state the Ninth Amendment, which says that basically one of the parts of the Ninth Amendment says just because the Constitution doesn't state a right, that doesn't mean that it's forbidden. Just because it doesn't say this is a right you have, it doesn't mean that it's forbidding it. Just because it says you don't have the right to do this, doesn't mean we can forbid it. And you already start to see where this kind of gets a little bit dicey. The ruling is, states saying that people cannot have an abortion is a direct violation of those two amendments. The privacy to do it under the 14th Amendment is violated. And just because the privacy to do so isn't, it's not listed that you can have an abortion, that doesn't mean it's rejecting it. There's the Ninth Amendment. The court also found there was no indication that the Constitution's use of the word person should include the unborn. The court also found there was no indication that the Constitution's use of the word person should include an unborn person. The Constitution does not come out and say, that the unborn is a person. It doesn't say that. But keep in mind, the Constitution was written at a time when abortion was essentially unheard of. So of course it's not going to say that. You follow me? The court rejected Texas's argument that the fetus should be considered a person with legal and constitutional right to life. This is shaky. This is all... Imp and you can look this up anywhere. This isn't just like on preachers.org, right? This is on law websites all over the place. This is shaky. It's all implied. The implied right to abortion based on privacy in the 14th Amendment. The implied idea that just because the Constitution doesn't mention it, doesn't mean we can take it away in the 9th Amendment. It's this privacy idea. You can't infringe on my privacy to do this. Here's the problem. Well, here's the other problem. The Supreme Court gave virtually no further explanation to this right of privacy in the 14th and the 9th Amendment. They said it, and then they moved forward. There is no right to privacy explicitly mentioned in the 14th or the 9th Amendment. It's implied in the 4th Amendment, but that wasn't used here because it's a different kind of privacy. Now, of no, we're not going to get into this. Don't raise your hand. Of course there is privacy, right? But to make an explicit law about something based on something that's not explicitly in there. You see that? The explicit law is based on something that is not explicitly present in the Constitution. This is sketchy at best. And by the way, the decision on the Supreme Court, it wasn't even unanimous. Supreme Court Justice Byron, Byron White, listen to what he says. 
So this is his opinion on the ruling. And he lost because it was majority, right? That's what he says. I find nothing in the language or history of the Constitution to support this ruling. The court has simply created a new constitutional right with scarcely any reason or authority for its action. That's really scary. The Supreme, and again, this isn't me, this isn't like your friend in the basement who thinks he knows everything, but he really doesn't, so he talks about his, he like read one article. Kids do this all the time. They read one article and they just go about how much they know, but they've just read one more article than you. This is a Supreme Court justice who said, I found nothing in the language or history of the Constitution to support this. The other one, uh, William Rehnquist said, to reach its result, the court had to find within the 14th Amendment a right which apparently was unknown to the people who wrote the amendment. So he says, in order to justify this, they had to find something in the 14th Amendment that the people who wrote the 14th Amendment didn't even know about. Here's why this is important. 14th Amendment, right? These rights, and they pull the right to privacy from there, all right? The 14th Amendment was written in 1868, all right? 1868. By that time, right, 1776 to 1868, by that time, 21 laws about abortion had already been written by the country and by the states. And they stayed in place after the 14th Amendment was written up until Roe v. Wade. So for 100 years, 1868 to 1973, for 100 years, the 14th Amendment sat right there next to 21 laws against abortion, and the 14th Amendment was never brought up in support against those laws. Two Supreme Court justices have just said the only way you can find the right to abortion in the Constitution is if you put it in there. The only way you can find the right to abortion in the Constitution is if you put it in there. Nobody brought up abortion in regards to the 14th Amendment until all of a sudden... The gender revolution of the 60s comes and there's all this pressure from the media. And now, all of a sudden, we found it in the 14th Amendment. After a hundred years of sitting next to all these abortion laws, the 14th Amendment was never used. What a convenient coincidence. By the way, Nora McCorvey, Jane Roe, right? Nora McCorvey in 1995 where she was an open lesbian working at an abortion clinic, met a girl named Emily Mackey, a seven-year-old whose parents were protesting outside of the abortion clinic. Emily had almost been aborted herself and was not. Now seven years old meets Miss Norma, and the two become friends. Jane Roe becomes friends with a little girl who was almost aborted and wasn't. True story. This little girl, Emily Mackey, shows genuine interest and love to Norma, giving her hugs every time her parents came to protest and invited her to church. Through this young girl's combination of truth and grace, along with those who shared the gospel with her, Norma, Jane Roe, not only became convinced of the pro-life position, but also converted to Christianity and denounced her lesbian practice and relationships. Norma has gone on record to say, I should never have signed that affidavit. Remember, the affidavit's what allows them to use your stuff in court. I should never have signed that affidavit. Being involved in Roe vs. Wade was the biggest mistake of my life. She then died of heart failure three years later. 
Norma was certainly not perfect. She is by no means a role model for us. But you need to understand that the woman who the pro-choice law is named after is no longer pro-choice. Even legal scholars who agree with abortion have admitted that the reasoning of Roe v. Wade is weak. So this isn't like your granddad who hates abortion. This is a lawyer who's in favor of abortion, and he says the Roe v. Wade case is weak. Listen to what this guy named Edward Lazarus, what a name, former clerk of a justice of the Supreme Court says, as a matter of constitutional interpretation and judicial method, Roe v. Wade borders on the indefensible. He's saying you cannot defend this ruling using the Constitution. You can't do it. Last one, 1973, law professor Lawrence Tribe wrote in the Harvard Law Review. Dude knows what he's talking about. He says, one of the most curious things about Roe v. Wade is that behind its own verbal smokescreen, which means they use a lot of fancy words, the judgment on which it rests is nowhere to be found. Two lawyers who support abortion say the judgment for Roe v. Wade is not in the Constitution. You cannot use the Constitution to justify Roe v. Wade. Number of American deaths in World War II, according to the World War II History Museum, 418,000. And this doesn't mean that's minimal. I'm just trying to show you what I'm about to show you. Number of deaths in the Civil War, according to the historical statistic website civilwar.org, well-named, 620,000. New York Times says it's close to 750,000. 750,000 people. Number of abortions in the United States from 1973 to 2014. 44 million, 498,750. According to the Mayo Clinic, at the instant of fertilization or conception, Google this stuff with your parents, okay? At the, at the instant of fertilization or conception, the baby's genes and gender are set. At the instant of conception. If there's a Y chromosome, it's a boy. If there's an X chromosome, it's a girl. According to BBC Health, five weeks in, barely a month, Major organs begin to develop, the hearts, lung, kidneys, retinas, the part of your eyes that are sensitive to light, begin to form. Week six, the central nervous system, the spine starts to form, the stomach, the intestines, the heart starts to beat. <coughs> Excuse me. Six weeks in, that's the last week of April was six weeks ago. Six weeks in, the heart is already beating and it's not yours. The basic structure of the body and the major organs form in the child during the first 12 weeks with a heartbeat at week six. In 2014, 92% of abortions happened during the first 13 weeks while all this is happening. Well, you're just trying to make that sound bad, 92%. Well, I got it from Planned Parenthood's website. Science is showing us that from the very get-go, life is beginning. Someone is beginning. Legally, we've looked at Supreme Court justices, legal history, and lawyers who are pro-abortion saying Roe v. Wade doesn't make sense. Did you know, this is crazy, right now in our country, if a woman is driving to an abortion clinic, you may know where I'm going with this, right now, if a woman is driving to an abortion clinic and gets hit by a drunk driver on the way to the abortion clinic and the unborn baby dies, she can, drive the jar she can charge the driver with manslaughter for the unborn child. It's called the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, signed in 2004. 
The driver can go to jail for killing the baby that she can legally abort. Now, what does the Bible say about all of this? Turn to Exodus chapter 21. Everyone knows Psalm 139, and we're going to get there. And you should know Psalm 139. But this is the crazy one that not everybody knows. Exodus 21. Are we good, Christina? You all say, all right. Exodus 21, 22 to 24. This is God kind of laying out some laws here, okay? Follow this. Now, think about abortion. Think about what happens inside the womb. This is the Bible now, all right? We've done legal. We did a little bit of science. Nobody's asleep yet. Cool, hang on. Here's what the Bible says. Here we go. When men strive together, that's, that means fighting, all right? When men are fighting together, like fighting against each other, and hit a pregnant woman, wow, this is specific, and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out that's prematurely, so the woman gets hit or pushed, and it results in premature labor too early, but there is no harm, so the child's okay. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. All right, verse 23. But if there is harm to the child, you will pay, what does it say? Life for life. Inside the womb, not born yet. And remember, they didn't have technology, so they, there's no gender, there's no name, nothing. And if the baby, if, if it gets hit and it results in a premature birth and the baby's okay or the baby is born alive and is okay, then the person who is doing the fighting will pay a small fine. But if this unnamed, unknown, unborn baby is forced prematurely and dies, you will pay life for life. This baby is still in the womb. It was supposed to stay in the womb. God doesn't say, oh, thank goodness, it wasn't supposed to be born yet. You're okay. No. He says, you will pay life for life. Even though it was in the womb, violence was done to it from outside the womb, causing it to die. Is this not abortion? You will pay life for life. God values what happens inside the womb. Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 13. All right, Psalms are in the middle, right? Psalm 139, verse 13. All right, let's see here. Everybody good to go? Psalm 139, 13. How's it looking, Christina? Okay. Psalm 139, verse 13. You got it? You are the woman. All right. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So follow this. There is action taking place on God's behalf in the womb. All right. Um, Let's see. My grandmother has only yelled at me one time in my life that I can remember. All right? This is Juanita we're talking about, so be careful. Right? Juanita has only... Why? She is not Hispanic. I don't understand. But why... Here we go. My grandma has yelled at me one time in my entire life, and it was when I was like 10 years old, and me and my brother came running into her house screaming, and we were, we were about to throw her off her knitting. Of course, grandma is knitting, right? Of course. But she was. She was knitting, and she was like, hey! And I was like... And we were like... Grandma, what? Like betrayed, right? And we were like, and she, and she literally, she looks at with the little things, right? And she goes, you got to be quiet. I'm working. Think about all the things that happened during the womb in those first few weeks that we just talked about, right? 
Go sometime and Google what happens in the womb during those first three weeks. All the cells have to go together. All the molecular foundation has to be laid. Remember, at conception, at the minute of fertilization, the, the gender is established. It is an independent person with an identity. That's way harder than knitting, guys, right? And it shows clearly God is knitting you together in the womb. Knitting shows us He's focused, right? He's focused on what's happening in the womb. He is attentive to what's happening in the womb. He is working. He is locked in to what is happening inside the womb. Now look at Psalm 139, verse 16. Psalm 139, verse 16. And this is the one that's on the Instagram all the time, I think, but it also applies to this. It's good that it's on Instagram. I'm not bashing that. Your eyes see my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days of my life when there were none of them. It's this idea of in your book were written all the days of my life before they existed. Before I was alive, you wrote out all the days of my life. He's got your life planned out before it happens. If He values you enough to plot out your life before you're born, that proves He values you before you're born. Make sense? Now, here's the last one. Turn to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 18. Ruth 4, 18. And this is a weird one, and, and we're going to use some Hebrew here, but this one, to me, might be the most ironclad one, if you can follow me, all right? Ruth chapter 4, verse 18, and we're going to read a couple verses, Christina, so just kind of finger on the trigger. All right, now these were the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, keep going. Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab. Let's just do two more. So verse 20. There you go. Aminadab fathered, mm, here we go, Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. All right, one more. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. This fathered, right? In the NASB, um, it could say born to. Other versions say fathered. Some say begat, King James Version. Begat this person. He fathered this person. He fathered this person. He fathered this person, right? Is that what most of your versions say? Fathered or was born to? All right, here's where this is important. The Old Testament was written in what language? See if you can help me. Hebrew. Hebrew. Well said. New Testament's written in Greek. In the Old Testament, this word for fathered, he fathered so-and-so, he fathered so-and-so. This word is holid in Hebrew. To father a child is holid. But it also means, it's the same word, it means to cause someone to bear a child. So you father this child, but it's implied that you caused someone to bear the child. The men caused the woman to bear this child. You see what I mean? It means to impregnate. The word for father is this, to father is the same word as to impregnate. Now, why would the word father and impregnate be the same word? Impregnate doesn't mean that you're going to have the kid. But to the Hebrew people, it does. To those who wrote God's Word here, it does. To become pregnant means, is naturally assumed, that that child will have parents. That it will be born. 
In God's mind, if someone was going to get pregnant, then it was obvious and natural that that pregnancy would end with two parents and a kid. The pregnancy would become something. That's why father and impregnate are rooted in the same word because they're two parts of the same coin. To impregnate someone is to be the father of that child, which means you've got to have that child. To conceive of a child in the Old Testament was to assume that you would raise it. There was no conceiving just to conceive, and then it's your choice as to what happens after that. The fact that the word for, and here's the other thing, the word for conceive, right, she conceived a child, is hurrah, and in the Old Testament, it's always followed by the verb to give birth. So conceive is always followed by, two sides of the same coin again, to conceive is always followed by to give birth. This is crazy. This blew my mind. Now the guys are not going to know this. Some of the ladies may be more aware of what I'm about to say, but I almost fell out of my chair when I was told this. My wife Kristen has a friend named Kara. Kara has been allergic to gluten her entire life. Allergic to gluten. Shout out, right? Kara has been allergic to gluten her entire life. Except in the last few months, she's noticed some weird changes in her diet, and she went to the doctor to get some tests run, and she's not allergic to gluten anymore. Do you know why Kara, who's been allergic to gluten her entire life, is no longer allergic to gluten? She's pregnant. And her infant needs that as part of the nutrition while it develops. Her body is, she didn't plan that, right? Her body is adjusting to cater to the newborn infant. God has designed the very biology of the female body to care for the unborn. Why? Because He cares for the unborn. Here's what the Gospel has to say. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So while we were helpless, think about in the womb, while we were helpless, while we had no voice, while we were sinful, while we were lost, Christ defended us and died for us. If Christ, now listen, if Christ really did give His life for the helpless, then we commit blasphemy when we take the life of the helpless. If Christ really did give His life for the helpless, we commit blasphemy when we take the life of the helpless. So abortion is not only violence towards someone else, it is a perversion of the gospel of Jesus. It is the polar opposite of everything the gospel stands for. And is the polar opposite of everything. If you identify as a Christian, it is incompatible for you to be in favor of abortion. Biblically speaking, it is incompatible for you to be in sync with that. And again, that's just something for you to chew on this summer. Now, I know there's 50 different scenarios, and there's what about this, and what if this. I can't answer all those tonight. I thought about doing it next week, but we need to get into James, and you guys need to do some digging on your own, with your own questions and issues in terms of this topic. But I wanted to lay some groundwork for you to see that legally, Road v. Wade stands on very shaky ground. Scientifically, we know so much. It is a life before the abortion takes place. And biblically, there's no way you can see God being in favor of abortion. And, here's, and I know it's like, it's summer, I'm in middle school. What, Ryan, what is happening? Like, 
The reason that I want to show you guys this as high schoolers and middle schoolers again is because by the time you get older, you have formed your opinions on this. And as you get older, and ask some of these college students, as you enter into the college world where you are exposed to all these different beliefs, you've got to have more in your tank than, well, I just know it's wrong. That's a good place to start, but it's a bad place to stay. You've got to know more so that you can engage with the culture, so that we can change the culture, right? This is huge as you guys get older. Uh, I'll be here for some questions. Um, Let me pray, and then Lydia and Hannah, can you guys do some announcements for us? Does that work? Let's pray, and then we'll be be all set. Father.